This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where it's week number seven of the legislative session, just three more to go before the scheduled adjournment. Good luck to all the legislative staffers who will be pulling all-nighters during the final weeks. The Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence is being raked over the coals today. A House committee holds a public hearing this afternoon about their spending practices. It should be a doozy. The bill to merge New College with FSU and Florida Polytechnic with the University of Florida goes before the House Appropriations Committee tomorrow, and university administrators are circling the wagons to try to save their schools. We'll hear from the governor, the House Speaker, and the Senate President on merger mania. And on today's Sunrise interview, we talk with Florida Polytechnic University President Dr. Randy Avett, who is no fan of the bill. We'll also hear from Governor Ron DeSantis on the battle over E-Verify, one of his priorities this year. The sponsor of the bill in the Senate told us it's so bad the governor should just veto the whole thing, but DeSantis says there's still time. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the latest on Florida Man, who is offering a $1,000 reward for a certain Florida woman. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, February 24th. The Committee on Public Integrity and Ethics in the Florida House holds a public hearing this afternoon on the scandal at the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence. It's a private group that has an exclusive contract with the state to hand out almost $50 million per year to domestic violence shelters. But the coalition is about to lose that contract after lawmakers finally get a look at their finances. That's when they figured out the former executive director, Tiffany Carr, was paid more than $7 million over a three-year period. Governor Ron DeSantis has also ordered an investigation to find any other groups that have exclusive contracts written into state law or receive more than 50 percent of their funding from the state and federal governments. So when I first came in, uh, I told the folks in in our office, let's look at all these practices, contracting everything, figure out what we can do better, figure out where their inefficiencies, because it doesn't, they're always, these things build up. Um, And so in our first budget, we proposed putting that under DCF, not because we thought that DCF is like, it's not is it like easy to do, but there needs to be accountability. What you have is something that's kind of a self-perpetuating entity in statute where you have the head of it selects the board and on and on it goes, and that's not the type of accountability and oversight that you need to be able to do well. So I appreciate the House taking uh, taking the lead on this. You know, we've been at, we were asking for information. They just gave us the back of their hand. I mean, they, they, they didn't want uh, to participate at all, and so obviously that's very troubling. So I think those investigations are going to go on. If we can get it in to where there's accountability, then I think we'll have ability to save taxpayer funds. And the sad thing is, is when you're talking about millions of dollars lining people's pockets, you know, that's money that could go to help people um, who have been victims. And, um, you know, if you're in this line of business and that, I mean, you should be there for the victims, not for yourself. The Florida House has taken the lead in the investigation of the coalition, and Speaker Jose Oliva supports the governor's executive order calling for a detailed report into other outside groups that may have similar sweetheart deals. I think more oversight is necessary. I mean, look, any time an abuse of this nature happens, and it happens somewhat right under our noses, we're all tremendously concerned. I mean, the extraordinary actions we took last week is because we realized what this all became. Not only the audacity of the, of the, of the wasteful spending that went on, but then the reluctance to share information about it. These are public dollars. So I think, I think the governor's reaction is the correct one, and I think we all have to be very concerned about any other institution that has this kind of spending authority. The one thing we're looking at where we feel like we had a responsibility is on having the right oversight. 
uh, in these types of organizations. And so now we're looking at a bill that uh, would impose all that would impose oversight on any other such. Uh, agency like what that one with statutory. What kind of oversight? Well, there has to be some ability to to have some uh, some auditing that is done regularly. We also have to know uh, what kind of rules there are for appointing people to a board. I mean, if you are appointing board members that are made up of the very same vendors that you're giving contracts to, you can see how something like this can happen. So uh, there's there's definitely a lot that we have to learn from it, and and I think that we're all taking a little bit of back about especially in the area of domestic violence, that some this kind of abuse could happen. Do you think that yeah. it's appropriate, though, that SCPP could bid for the same contracts the next Well, only to the degree that that entire, one, that they'd, be, that they'd be free of everyone that was in any way connected to this. Two, that, that we put everything in place that we need to put in place to ensure the right oversight. Uh, then yes, because it wouldn't it wouldn't be the organization that that uh, caused this problem. So I think that, yes, but only once it's been entirely clear. You were a host of one of the, fund, uh, the fundraisers a few years ago. A couple. A couple. Um, you know this this had the kind it was like rock star status. I mean the governor Governor Bush was was a big uh, supporter of this. How did this get so like out of whack? What, you know, what's your theory? Well, you know, the the truth is that that's, I think that's really what what has most concerned us is, how does something of this scale happen? I attended uh, those dinners, uh, and we raised money for them. I mean, when you think about a domestic violence coalition and the fact that uh, that that this one agency is the one responsible for for centralized. Uh, providing of all the services to all of the different vendors. It's a great idea and it's a great concept. And of course, because it's a, it revolves around domestic violence, it had tremendous support. I think that that in part is why this kind of abuse was even possible. Because it is in areas like this run by someone who uh, at least claimed to have been a victim of domestic violence, who, whose mother had been a victim of domestic violence. It's almost like you felt she was above reproach. And I think that all of that lent itself to what is really a, a tragedy. Uh, so, but, but yeah, I mean, it's... Do you, do you think it's going to hurt the, the movement, or do you think that you will be able to sort of thread the needle and protect these centers that are getting money without having to go through this? Uh, There's multiple challenges there, because some of those, some of those centers were represented on the board. And what were they doing? And, and were they properly using funds? And there's a lot to unravel here. And that is why we moved so swiftly, to make sure that we had access to all the information possible. Uh, because any, any inability to really understand what happened doesn't allow you to truly fix it. Uh, I think we'll be able to get back to a place where, uh, where we have a model that works similar, but with far more oversight. Far more oversight. Will you be able to adjudicate that all before the, the end of session and you know, well, we right want Well, as you know, the first thing we want to do is turn that over to DCF, so that so that things can continue to move. I mean, there are people that suffer from abuse of domestic violence sure. and, and need some sort of help. Don't have time for all of these processes and everything that it's going to take. Okay. Uh, I think this is going to go beyond our time here in session, and maybe even beyond my time as speaker. Today's hearing by the Public Integrity and Ethics Committee starts at 1. They've set aside five hours to grill the coalition, or what's left of it. Ten current and former members of the board of directors and two top executives will have the chance to explain their actions, while at the same time they try to avoid any criminal charges over allegations of financial abuse at the embattled agency. But the woman at the center of the storm, Tiffany Carr, will not be there.
One of the governor's top priorities in the 2020 session is passage of a law requiring employers to use the federal e-verify system to screen all new hires and make sure they're in the country legally. On Friday's show, the sponsor of the bill, Senator Tom Lee, said the current version of his bill is so bad he would ask the governor to veto it. But DeSantis says it's a work in progress and there is still plenty of time to pass a better bill. We're working through it. Um, you know, my, my posture on all this is like, you know, there's different committee stops. I'm not going to get all spun out uh, of whack on this to me that bottom line is, is, you know, we know what we're trying to accomplish. I've had very good discussions with the president of the Senate and um, and then we're going to go go from there. And so I, I anticipate, you know, they're going to want to produce a product that's going to be meaningful and that's going to be supportive by our voters. I mean, I just saw someone's coming out, came out the poll. I don't know if it's been public yet, but I mean, you know, it was like 68, 18 in Florida across the board supporting E-Verify. And I think it was 90 percent with Republicans and like 70 some percent with independents and even a majority a spare majority of Democrats with majority so so those are things and it's interesting when they had I know one of the committees they have guys like the Teamsters coming in supporting E-Verify so it's not something that is purely you know partisan and a lot of the opposition E-Verify quite frankly has been from uh, different Republican interests in the past so I, I think I think we're going to work through it and uh, hopefully get some stuff done but I will say this you expect legislators to send you a bill though, right? I think they will yeah I do think they will the Senate version of the E-Verify bill is waiting on a hearing in the Rules Committee. The House is waiting to see what the Senate does before they take action. Officials at New College in Sarasota and Florida Polytechnic in Lakeland are preparing for the worst at a meeting of the House Appropriations Committee tomorrow. The budget panel will be voting on Representative Randy Fine's merger mania bill. The original plan was to make New College a branch of Florida State and to convert Florida Poly into a satellite campus of the University of Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis stirred things up a bit more when he suggested New College might be better off under the University of South Florida rather than FSU. The um, you know the new college with FSU. I don't know what FSU's uh, interest in that is. I mean, it seems like if you're going to do something like that, USF would probably be more natural, just given the the location. But um, you know, at the end of the day, I think that we have a lot of good things going on with the universities. But you know, we can't necessarily be all things to all people. So if there's ways to do it that's more efficient, um, I'm certainly willing uh, to look at it and um, and discuss it. People say that new college is so unique; it provides a different education than you can get anywhere else. Does that concern you at all? Well, look, I mean, I think that, that folks can, can um, you know, can do that. I, I just tell you, I mean, I think if you look at the engines for the state, you know, the engines for the state have been, of course, UF, FSU, and USF. I mean, you know, USF's a top 50 university, uh, and the fact that USF is anchored in one of our major metropolitan areas, to me, I think means that they have uh, potential to do a lot of great great things in the future. So, so it would just be dependent on how, how it would be done and so you know I'm not endorsing anything but I'm always open to ways that we can have the dollars go further and that our university system is really fulfilling the mission um, that I think taxpayers want which is to prepare you know these students to be able to be successful. The governor's suggestion that USF might be a better fit for new college than FSU caught House Speaker Jose Oliva by surprise but he's okay with the idea. I hadn't heard that, but it's, uh, it makes sense. Uh, you know, I, listen, we want to make sure that if we're able to go through with this and, and we can create the kind of savings and or, or at least create, stop spending the kind of dollars that we're spending that are so disproportionate with other university systems, that those students get to go to a place where they still have a benefit that the programs that exist in those universities can still continue to exist, but that we can have synergies and that we can have the economies of scale that, that they just can't have with that low number of students. So uh, I'm open to University of South Florida as well.
After those comments by Speaker Oliva and Governor DeSantis, Representative Fine filed an updated version of his bill, cutting FSU out of the merger and saying the University of Florida should take over both New College and Florida Poly. Officials at New College were hoping they could count on Senate President Bill Galvano to thwart the merger because they're in his district and he is a longtime supporter. But Galvano wants to see the numbers and hear the arguments. Yeah, I've, I have expressed my own concerns about the uh, status of, of New College, given some of the financial decisions that we've had made to make in the past of, as I've sh chaired uh, education appropriations. And I believe that the discussion was worthy of having. And I share with the speaker that I'd like to have that discussion and take a review and, and understand uh, what it will look like going forward. I've always been a big uh, protector of, of new, new college. I think it adds value to our community, but I'm not gonna be, be around forever, obviously. And you know, if there are systemic problems with the institution, I'd rather discuss them now, figure it out, and, and go from there forward. The merger is a one opportunity that uh, could exist that uh, I think needs to be discussed. I, I met with the president of New College and I, I shared uh, exactly what I thought were some concerns. And, and he, you know, he, he said, look, it's been hard for us. We've had the performance funding and we weren't meeting the metrics. Our, our population was not hitting on some of these points that, that other universities do. So that got started to build them behind the uh, financial, uh, put them behind fiscally. Uh, also, enrollment has been a challenge for them, in which I respect his candor. He said, I get it, because I, I know, because I backfilled money for their enrollment to get them, them up. But these are, what I don't want to see happen is that we go forward and then there's no decision maker who's going to fill in that what now amounts to 37% of their base budget by one special payment form or another. And so if it means having them under an administrative umbrella that could more efficiently execute uh, the admin side of it so that you don't have that uh, disproportionate ratio, because remember, their, their degrees, too, if not the highest cost in the state, one or, one or two, maybe that's a way to, to address it. And uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you uh, negate the, the unique characteristics of this institution. So the answer is yes, and we, I, I do want to have that discussion, but, but no final decision has been made on my part. We've been focusing on new college so far, but let's not forget that Florida Poly is part of the package. Next up on the Sunrise interview, Florida Polytechnic President Dr. Randy Avent explains why the numbers are wrong. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. -L. 
Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is Dr. Randy Avant, the president of Florida Polytechnic University in Lakeland. He traveled to the Capitol about two weeks ago after getting word there was a bill in the works to make his school a branch campus of the University of Florida. Lawmakers gave him all of about 90 seconds to state his case, but we can do better than that, especially for a bill that came out of nowhere without any sort of warning. I was, yeah, very surprised when I heard it. And what do you make of what's going on right now? Uh, well, I, I think that um, they're using some information that's uh, not quite accurate. Uh, you know, as I said in the, the testimony very quickly, that uh, university's been hitting all of its marks and exceeding them. I mean, we're doing a fantastic job. We're getting students in. Our applications are up 80% this year, so we're continuing to grow. Uh, our quality of student is up. And uh, our graduates, I think we just got the, the median starting salaries for our first class is uh, $54,800, which is 50% higher than the average across the system. So we're, we're doing a spectacular job, $290 million added to the Florida economy last year alone. And so I was a little surprised when it came out. And it seems to be that the attack is around the cost of our per- degrees and our administrative cost. Uh, the issue, though, is that the cost of our degrees are based on data from our first year class. And that data, of course, was our smallest class by far, but the cost also included startup cost of the university because the university was just being created, and those startup costs also was a lot of capital infrastructure costs. So those uh, numbers for the cost per degree are, 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 are really pretty exaggerated. Uh, and then the other thing is the administrative cost. And on the administrative cost, every university calculates those differently. Uh, what we do know is that uh, is that we have administrative cost that is below what uh, some of the uh, Institute for Government Effectiveness says that we should have. And um, and uh, we're continuing to, as we grow. That administrative cost is coming down. It's not excessive in, by any stretch. And Matter of fact, if you're really basing this off of closing university or merging a university because the administrative cost is too high, there are seven other universities that they would save a whole lot more money than moving us. So, uh, Yeah, but it's easier to pick on the new kids, right? Easier to pick on the new kids, that's right, and, and the small kids. And uh, we just think that uh, I think even one of the assessments of how much money this would save said that it would be indeterminate. And... Uh, and, you know, we just would hate to mess up an organization that just in its fifth year is already adding $290 billion to the economy when we really don't know exactly how much it would save. Uh, we did uh, have many of our services administered by University of Florida uh, from 2012 until 2016 through a shared services agreement. And so we know exactly how much it costs for University of Florida to administer our services, and they do you know a great job certainly. But uh, but we know that in a direct comparison, that the reason why we went off of that shared services agreement because we could do it cheaper. And last year we can get down right to the exact value. It was about 1.5 million we saved by doing it ourselves. Do you think there's any possibility here that this is a backlash over the way Florida Poly was created in the first place? I mean, let's be honest. If, if J.D. Alexander had not held the budget hostage for an entire session, there would be no Florida Poly right now. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think we could all speculate, but but I don't really know for sure, and and, uh, and, and I hate to speculate on that. I got you. Now, the word is that the fix is in in the House. What's What are you hearing from your allies in the Senate? Um, well, we... We hear certainly there's a lot of senators against it. 
and uh, um, and so we know that there's no companion bill yet. But uh, mostly what we hear is the same thing the press is hearing, you know, public statements that uh, several leaders in Senate have said one way or the other. We haven't privately talked with anyone that uh, that that is for it. And uh, so, you know, we're just hopeful that uh, that the Senate won't come up with a companion bill that matches it. Now, what would happen to Florida Poly's mission if it became a branch campus instead of being an independent university? I think that's uh, all up in the air. As you know, the, the legislative bill itself doesn't really get into any of those details. And so I think all that's uh, up in the air. I think that, you know, one of the missions that we're trying to create here with Florida Poly is we know that if you look at really high performing, high performing being the top 20% high school students that are interested in STEM, um, we know that for every one that's only looking to go in-state, there are two looking to go out-of-state. And the reason we have, anecdotally, is the reason that two-thirds of those high-performance students are looking to go out-of-state is because they're not looking for a, for experience of a comprehensive university. Students that are really interested in STEM, really interested in engineers, are not the ones that uh, that want to join fraternities, sororities, go to football games, those types of things that you get from a lot of the comprehensives. They want to go to a small school. The other thing that we know is that Bioscience Journal has uh, empirical evidence that shows that engineering students at small schools are much more successful than engineering students at large schools. And so what we're really trying to gear Florida Poly is for that small school feeling of attracting and keeping and retaining those students here in the state of Florida. And so many of our students have come out and said that, look, I didn't go to Florida Poly because I want to be part of a large university. They like that small school feel. What do you think the chances are that, well... To put it bluntly, this, this is a two-by-four bill. They did this to get someone's attention. Uh, the, the, you know, the accelerated takeover, I mean, having this all done by July 1st, which seems like a logistical impossibility, uh, is someone trying to send you a message? I don't know. You know, I'm just a knucklehead engineer mathematician, so I'm not uh, politically astute that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe that's why we have so many politicians running other schools right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hard hard to say. You know, uh, it, it it does feel a little bit like that uh, because, like you said, is, is it was so sudden and and really hadn't been socialized. Uh, just about everyone that we talked to said it was a surprise um, and that they didn't know about it. And so, uh, um, but uh, we'll just try to react to it and try to figure out what's the best value for the state of Florida. I was going to ask, what is your strategy now? What's your next move? Well, we're we're just talking with uh, with various uh, stakeholders and just getting their message out that uh, that there's a lot to question on the uh, in terms of the basis for why they're doing this on the cost per degree and on the administrative cost, and also trying to just let everyone know that the damage that could be done to the institution if this goes through. What sort of damage would happen to the institution? Well, I think that certainly uh, we could start seeing the uh, admissions go down. And then again, because there isn't a lot of detail on what this would exactly encompass. You know, one issue that many people haven't even discussed and what's discussed at the bill is that this is all about going and getting SACS COC accreditation. And could we transfer SACS COC accreditation from being just Florida Poly to a merged university? But we haven't even discussed ABET accreditation, which is the engineering accreditation that we just achieved. And that could be just a whole other minefield in and of itself. And in fact, 
most large companies, defense companies, Lockheed Martin, but other large engineering companies won't hire uh, graduates from programs that aren't ABET accredited. So that could also cause a lot of issues as well. Okay. Now, the president of New College, Donnell O'Shea, was up here last week, and he said basically, we are a unique institution within the state university system. What is unique about Florida Poly that makes it worthy of preservation? Same sort of thing. The, the mission for New College and the mission for Florida Poly are very, very similar. We're going after those very high-performance students to try to keep them in the, uh, in the state. And uh, so, you know, we, we probably, if you look at the quality of our student versus quality of a New College student, they're fairly comparable. And, uh, and so we, we offer something that's unique within the system, which is that small school setting. So, uh, you know, we have class sizes, 20, 25 students. They're not 600 students. And uh, particularly for a STEM school, that's extraordinarily important to be able to offer that. Now, I assume that Kelly Stargill is with you on this one, right, the, the senator from yes, Lakeland? Has, has she given you any hopes? Um, well, we've had conversations with her, and, and uh, you know, as we understand it, she's against it, and uh, and I think we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go and do what she can. So, bottom line, you just don't want to be a gator, huh? <laughs> it, it's not that I don't want to be a gator. Uh, you know, I love University of Florida; it's a great school, and uh, and uh, but I think that we could do a better job administering it and running it ourselves. And keeping with what our mission was to be, you know, again, the mission of the university was to grow a high-tech, high-skill, high-wage economy here in the state of Florida. You know, as you probably know, the Florida Chamber estimates that 55,000 STEM jobs unfilled in the state of Florida. Uh, Council of 100 says that's 80,000. No matter what it is, what we do know is that Florida is one of the largest university systems in the, in the nation, but we rank 38th in STEM degree production. And so Florida Poly really was to go in and to affect that number. The other thing that we know is the return on investment for the students, 30-year return on investment for the students across the system is about $600,000, but at Florida Poly, that's $2.2 billion. So we have an over a three-to-one return than the average across the university system. And so, uh, so you know, we just uh, think that we're filling a niche that's incredibly important here in the state of Florida, growing the economy and really attracting those high-tech, high-skill companies into the state of Florida. And we'd hate to see that, uh, that, that messed up just because we believe that we could save a little bit of money. The university merger bill will be heard in the House Appropriations Committee tomorrow afternoon. Your daily calendar of political events starts at 9 in the morning. That's when the Florida Board of Occupational Therapy Practice meets in Tallahassee. Also at 9, Congressman Ted Deutsch will visit Spanish River High School in Boca Raton to meet with a teacher and students who have received a grant for their work on a prototype that will measure and detect symptoms of sepsis. Attorney General Ashley Moody and Congressman Vern Buchanan are holding a media avail at 12.30 today. That's before a meeting of the statewide task force on opioid abuse. The House Public Integrity and Ethics Committee will hold a public hearing at 1 about financial practices at the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence. You may have heard of that already. And the Visit Florida Planning Task Force will hold a conference call at 3 this afternoon to discuss the agency's strategic plan, which might best be summed up as try to stay alive. And it's time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man and his occasional nemesis, Florida Woman. 
Deputies in Hernando County say a Florida man who was waiting to get a haircut killed himself while playing with a gun. They're calling it a horrible accident. The guy was sitting on a bucket outside his bedroom door while he waited for another man to cut his hair. Officials at the sheriff's office say he started playing with a handgun and it went off. He was dead by the time officers arrived. And a Florida man is asking for the public's help after a Florida woman was caught on video stealing his wallet at a Dollar Tree store, a wallet filled with $4,000 in cash. Dr. Luis Miguel Ova Fernandez says he was doing some last-minute shopping for a vacation, placed his wallet on a stand while looking for toothpaste, and then she grabbed it. It was all captured on surveillance video, and the Florida man is offering a $1,000 reward for the Florida woman who walked away with his vacation cash. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 